Hello and welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you had a lovely, lovely weekend. Today we are going to be continuing our series on the Sermon of the Mount with the Beatitudes. And I also hope you enjoyed the second part of our Did the Israelites Destroy Jericho series with the conclusion of Dr. Bryant Wood's article uh, about if the Israelites destroyed Jericho. Uh, we'll be continuing our Jericho series on Thursday with a rebuttal to Dr. Woods. Um, so today we're going to be discussing the Beatitudes. And I, again, am using my 1599 Geneva Bible Patriots Edition. Uh, there are several different versions of the Geneva Bible available. There's actually, I think, one from 1560 that is available. Uh, and they average between 20 and $40, depending on how much you want to spend and how fancy you want to go. Again, I don't get paid for promoting that, uh, but I find having a different translation and different analysis available to me helps me understand scripture a little bit better. Now, today we're going to be discussing, as I said, the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are found in Matthew chapter 3, verses 3 through 12. And I'm going to start out by reading the Beatitudes, and then we're going to actually approach this discussion a little bit differently than most people discuss the Beatitudes. So let me start off. I'm going to be starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed shall ye be when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake falsely. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now a lot of people when they discuss the Beatitudes, they take each Beatitude one at a time. So they... They discuss each beatitude individually before moving on to the next one. But uh, to sort of borrow a phrase from one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, we can discuss all the beatitudes at one time instead of one by one. Okay. And yes, I am a Star Trek The Next Generation fan, uh, so that is my nerd thing of the day. And I've actually changed, if you've noticed, I changed my structure of the podcast a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I kind of scripted a lot of stuff when I started until I felt comfortable being behind the microphone in a more, uh, more authentic, more personal me. So you're actually getting me more unscripted than I've been in the past. So you're really getting more of my testimony about these things versus more scripted, thoughtful, thought out, perfect phrasing. So forgive my mistakes. Now my archaeology ones still are scripted because there's a lot of information and you don't necessarily, uh, the little minutiae I don't throw in there. Um, so they are, tend to still be scripted, but 
my testimonies, my Monday services, or my Monday podcasts will be a little bit less scripted. So uh, when we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, there are two questions or two things that we're going to talk about. We uh, are two questions that Jesus are basically answering. He says, he answers, who are the citizens of this kingdom of heaven? And the second question is, what benefits do they receive? And I have to admit, again, like I said, I've discussed the Beatitudes. I've been going uh, through them since I was a little girl. And I think as I've gotten older, I realize now Jesus is defining the parameters of citizenship. And Every, every place has parameters for their citizenship. And I'm not going to get into a discussion about citizenship and, and immigration or anything like that. That's, not, that's irrelevant to our conversation. But we have to understand that there is a parameter that is established for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus quite succinctly lays out the parameters for what you need to be in the kingdom of heaven. And I, I guess today is a good day for me to be discussing this because I just came from with my from my uh, from the Department of Motor Vehicles with my friend who was getting her driver's license for the first time, and I realized what did she have to provide to get her driver's license, and it was the same stuff I had to provide when I got mine: my birth certificate, my proof of social security, proof of I, I lived in my house, and all that sort of business. And I thought, well, Jesus has the same thing. He has parameters for citizenship. What do you need? And you need to have all of these things, not just one or two, not just pick and choose. You have to have all of these things. So the first question we're really going to ask is, we're going to ask, we're going to answer the question, the character that is required of the citizens of heaven. And I think the Beatitudes, in a sense, lay this out in a sort of if then format. If you do this, then you get this. So the the character required of these, these citizens of the kingdom involves a lot of interrelated qualities. So you, like I said, you have to possess all these qualities to be a truly a citizen of the kingdom. So it should be evident. In other words, someone should be able to look at you and tell through the things that you do, the things that you say, that you are poor in spirit, but you do not hunger and thirst after righteousness. It, you may mourn, but you're not pure in heart. You may be meek, but you're not a peacemaker. You may be persecuted, but not for righteousness' sake. And it takes all of these qualities um, to, to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So you can be poor in spirit, mourn, meek, and persecuted, but not actually be a citizen, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven because you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're not pure of heart. You're not a peacemaker. You're not being persecuted for righteousness sake. So, um, and, and so a lot of these qualities, it's similar to the passage in second Peter one chapter, I'm sorry, chapter one, verses five through 11. So, uh, each of them need are needed in conjunction to ensure an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the kingdom. Okay. So you have to have all of them together. So what are the characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom? They are poor in spirit. Number one, they are poor in spirit. This is directly from verse three. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Okay, so that you have to be poor in spirit. So what is this? It's described as to be poor in spirit is to have a humble opinion of ourselves and to be sensible that we are sinners and have no righteousness of our own. We have to be willing to be saved by the rich grace and mercy of God. So I'm not righteous on my own. I'm righteous because I accept Christ as my Savior. He's the one who provides me with that righteousness. And I'm willing to be saved. I have come to him and said, I am a sinner and I need you to save me. You have to be convicted of your own spiritual poverty. So this is exemplified by the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. And, and actually the opposite is shown by the Pharisee in that same chapter. So um, in, in the Luke passage, chapter 18, you have two people. You have a Pharisee and you have a tax collector. And the Pharisee is, is in the synagogue and saying all these beautiful, wonderful words and, and pounding on his chest and saying, I'm so great and da da da. And how am I not like, and I'm so glad I'm not like this person who's next to me. And this person next to him happens to be our tax collector. And our tax collector very humbly puts his hand on his heart and says, God, forgive me, a tax, a sinner and tax collector. And with tax season upon us here in the United States, it bears saying sometimes we don't look at our tax collectors as very nice people. Uh, so, uh, again, this spiritual poverty, the tax collector showed that he had spiritual poverty. He knew he was a sinner. Um, and he knew he needed God. So, when you acknowledge your spiritual poverty, you are, you are going to be accepted into God's good favor. So, uh, and again, the contrast with that is our Pharisee in the same chapter of Luke, uh, in Luke 18. The second characteristic we have is we mourn. But mourning just doesn't mean crying over the loss of somebody. It means it's a specific type of mourning. So in, in uh, verse 4, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this kind of mourning is to mourn over one's own spiritual poverty or one's sinfulness. So uh, it's like David did in Psalm 51 after his uh, adultery with Bathsheba came uh, to light. Now, you have to be poor in spirit, but unless you, but you will not, but mourn, you will not mourn over that spiritual poverty. So not only do you have to be poor in spirit, you have to mourn over that spiritual poverty. And that's not feeling sorry for yourself. That's realizing that in order for you to receive redemption, you have to be upset that you have this sinfulness, this sinful nature. So if you run around happy that you have your sinful nature, you're not going to go anywhere. Well, you're going somewhere, but it's not into heaven. If you acknowledge the fact that you are poor in spirit and you are upset about it, then that, my friend, is the first step. The third thing that's required is exemplified in verse 5. Blessed are the meek. So what does it mean to be meek? It is to be gentle and easy to be entreated. And you would rather suffer an injury rather than inflict it. And, and you know, it, it's the type of person who doesn't go out there intentionally to hurt someone. They would themselves would rather suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune than inflict those same uh, slings and arrows on someone else. And 
I, I find myself, this is an easy one for me, I, I find it very easy to suffer the injuries of, of things than to inflict those injuries on other people. And I tend to hold back a lot because I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And being a businesswoman, that's, that's sort of tough for me because sometimes I do have to say the hard part out loud and be the quote, not nice person, but I can be not nice in a nice way. And that's what I try to do. So now being meek is not a position of weakness, but humility. And that's very important. You can be meek and, and be ridden over and driven over and, and, and just treated terribly. And that's weakness. But the kind of meekness, M-E-E-K, that, that Jesus is talking about is that you're humble. You are, you're realizing your own poverty of spirit, your own sinfulness. And you, you're humble about it. You, you realize this. It's, it's it, hand in hand with mourning. A good example of meekness is Moses. Uh, now, he wasn't weak or timid. But when he was personally attacked, he was very humble. Because Moses could be a very strong, forceful, powerful person. But when he was personally attacked, he was very humble. And we see that a lot today, when, especially in our interactions online, where, where people will be like, well, if you're just going to go ahead and attack me, just go ahead. It's just not worth fighting over. Because they know. It's just the person realizes they're being meek. They're saying, look, you want to argue about this? I'm not going to argue about it. And so they'll take those slings and arrows rather than fire back and tell someone, as we like to say here, tell someone about themselves. The fourth thing we need to do is hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that is verse 6. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? And now let me take a sip of drink. You're looking for the righteousness which will meet your spiritual poverty. They're mourning over your spiritual poverty. And it's not a half-hearted search. But it's exemplified by David, for example, in Psalm 42. And in Paul in um, Philippians 3. So those two went out. They realized their spiritual weaknesses, their sinfulness. And they went out and they hungered and thirsted for that righteousness. They wanted to achieve the kingdom of heaven. And you will not, I will not doubt that we will see David and Paul in the kingdom of heaven. The uh, fifth thing is to be merciful. And that is verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. So what does it mean to be merciful? It's being loving towards those in misery. So a, the best example is the Good Samaritan. And we, we need to love those who are in some type of misery. And it may be handing a drink to a homeless person who is suffering in the heat. It may be... Um, helping out a person who is sick or for whatever reason they they are have some sort of misery in their life and you are their good samaritan you need to possess a forgiving spirit to those toward those who sin against them so i still have to love the person who sins against me doesn't mean i i have to be a doormat it doesn't mean they're going to walk all over me but i still have to love them and forgive them because that is me being uh, merciful towards them. If, if I was 
not merciful, then I'm not going to achieve the kingdom of heaven. Um, again, it doesn't mean being a doormat. It means that you know that you as the person who are, is actively seeking God's face, you have to kind of be the bigger person. Um, so Jesus, again, he is the, our exemplar uh, of, of mercy. And Stephen in, in the book of Acts. Um, now, Jesus stressed the merciful characteristic on several occasions. He teaches on prayer in, in um, Matt, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and in his parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. And the unforgiving servant, of course, um, I will turn to that. Uh, just give me a moment here. In uh, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. So in the un parable of the unforgiving servant, um, so Jesus says in verse 22, I say not to thee unto seven times, but unto 70 times seven times you should forgive. You should always forgive, always. God doesn't say anything about forgetting the wrongs that were, that were done against you, but you should always, always forgive. Now, this virtue grows out of our own personal experience of the mercy of God. We've all experienced God's mercies. And sometimes it's the simple mercy of the car stopping before you rear-end somebody or not hitting that dog or cat or deer that's, that's running across the road or worse, or not hitting a child that runs out to chase their ball that rolled into the street. Those are your mercies when, you know, we experience those and we realize that is God's mercy and not wanting us to experience that. Sometimes it's the mercy of, and I, it's, it pains me to say this, sometimes a mercy is seeing a family member pass quickly rather than a long drawn out struggle with a disease. Um, and for how horrible it was for me to lose my parents. Uh, I, as I said before, I, I lost my, my mother in 2017 and I lost my father this past year unrelated to COVID. Um, it was merciful that they both went quickly and it was not a long drawn out illness that took them. Um, and, and that is merciful, even though I mourn. Uh, the sixth thing that we need to have is to be pure in heart. And let me turn back to my Matthew chapter five here. And I am so sorry. I don't usually flip like this. Um, in verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart. And what does it mean to be pure in heart? It's singleness, the honesty, which has no hidden motive no selfish interest, and is true and open in all things. In other words, when we have, when, when we are pure in heart, we do things because it's the right thing to do. And with, we don't want to, we have no motive. There's, there's no ulterior reason why we're doing what it is that we're doing. In other words, when, um, and I'm going to go back to my mother passing. When my mother passed, um, at the time I was living in Florida, and um, I left things in her house the way that they were. And my husband and I were transferred uh, a little further north. We live in Maryland now. And when we transferred up here, 
because I was an only child, I had inherited her house, I had to make the difficult decisions that I was not ready to make in what I was going to do with things like her clothes and shoes. And I did those things and I gave those things to people with no ulterior motive other than someone else could get some use out of it. I later, de I later determined and found out through some uh, friends that some of my donations did not make it where they needed to make it, where I intended for them to make it. And the people that did the, the bad thing and, and, and took the donations for their own personal use will have to account for that. And that's on between them and God. And they'll have to account for that when they're in the front of the judgment seat. But as for me, I did it with a pure intention. Was it hard? Yes, because I wasn't at that point ready. My mother had only been gone a few months and I was not ready for that. Um, so it, you have to be sincere, honest, and without hypocrisy. And that is an, a quality necessary to see God. The seventh thing we need is to be a peacemaker. And that is in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. So who is a peacemaker? Is it a diplomat? Well, no. Uh, it's a person who devotes their life to making peace by following the Prince of Peace. So in other words, we don't go out and, and create conflict as, as children of the Most High God. If anything, we go out, we seek out the conflict and, t and want to work to resolve it. And we want to bring peace, especially among the children of God. Now, it involves effort to be at peace with all men. And that is a difficult thing, especially when we have been wronged. It is difficult to achieve peace with our fellow man when, they, when we feel we have been wronged by them. It also involves helping others to be at peace with God by proclaiming the gospel of peace. At peace with God and thus themselves filled with sweet peace, they live in peace, if possible, with all men and work to keep and to make peace where peace is threatened or lost. Theirs is the work of true Christians who follow in the footsteps of the Prince of Peace. So again, we not only have to have peace with our fellow man, but in order for us to have peace with our fellow man, we have to have peace ourselves. We have to be at peace with ourselves. And that is sometimes very difficult. Again, when someone has wronged you, it's hard to become at peace with them when they've wronged you, which is why we are encouraged to forgive 70 upon 70 or seven upon 70. So again, you can forgive. You don't have to forget, but you have to come to peace with yourself and your actions, your behaviors, and Forgive the people who have caused you discord within yourself. So, uh, as my friend Dave likes to say, I'm not going to lose my I'm not going to lose my testimony over that person. So, and I, and I tend to agree with him. There are people I'm not I am not going to lose my place in the kingdom over some somebody who's acting silly. Number eight is to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, and that is. In verse 10, blessed are they which suffer persecution for righteousness sake. So, and, and that actually dovetails very, very neatly with verse 11. Blessed 
shall ye be when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake falsely. So those two dovetail very nicely. So it's a passive perfect tense and it's regarded as being permissive. Who have allowed themselves to be persecuted or have endured persecution is another way of putting it. So we've allowed ourselves to be persecuted. It is not easy being Christian in a very secular world. I'll actually extend that. It's not easy being a person with strong religious convictions in a secular world. Okay, and that's and I want to be inclusive of all my friends who listen and who may not quite have made that that journey to to accepting Christ. But it, it, and and again, I can only speak for here in the United States that it is and I know it's it's exceptionally difficult in other places to be Christian. It's it's actually against the law in some places to be Christian. But in the United States, it is difficult sometimes to be Christian in a heavily secular world because the views are viewed as archaic, old-fashioned, intolerant, uh, unyielding. And it, they can be. But the goal is for everyone to realize these aren't an archaic set of rules and laws that you follow and they're not bigoted they're not racial they're just the things you need to do it's a the bible is our book on how to be live our best life and to once again enter the kingdom of heaven so the idea is that you do not flee from it but willingly submit to that persecution when it came to you uh so Again, I dovetailed it in verse 11, being reviled, reproached, persecuted, slandered, all of it for Jesus' sake. And many times, and to my international friends, many times it is difficult for you. I understand. I, I, I pray for you. I understand that it's hard to stand up for Jesus in, in, when, you're, when everyone's coming at you and saying that this is wrong, this is, you know... Why don't you believe this or that or whatever? But my goal to you is to say, stand strong. Because the persecution, the slings and arrows that you're suffering now are going to pay huge dividends. Not only are you showing people true Christ-like love, but you will receive your reward. And not just on this earth, but you're going to receive it in heaven. So these are eight things I just listed are indeed the characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Again, hold on for just a minute. So we've got our eight characteristics. So is it worth it? Is going through all of those things worth it? And I'm going to say yes. Let's look at the Beatitudes now from the viewpoint of our second question. What benefits do you get as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Because citizenship has its benefits. Or as um, American Express used to say 25 years ago, membership has its privileges. So let's look at these membership privileges that we get when we are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to go back to the very beginning of our Beatitudes. So our condition can be summed up in one word blessed. And you always hear me say blessed are, blessed, blessed, blessed. I throw a little accent on there because again, that's the way I was always taught. 
So every the word stands at the beginning of the sermon and is used nine times in nine verses. And it can literally mean how very happy the one is that is being described. We can infer from verse 12 that blessed involves great joy and gladness. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. It says in rejoice and be glad in verse 12. For great is your reward in heaven. So again, when we are blessed, when we're blessed, we are joyful and glad. Okay? So there, our blessedness is in light of other benefits that we receive. And this is the then part of our if-then statements. So let's go back to, to a verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's the main idea right there. When you're poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, right off the break, tells us the main idea. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there is what we're aiming for. They are under, you are under the kingly rule of God. You are in a spiritual kingdom, which involves being in the church, the, the present manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. So um, I'm not denominational about this. The church, the Christian church is the present physical manifestation of the kingdom of heaven right now. It will involve a new heaven and a new earth in the kingdom's future and eternal manifestation. So again, in the last days and after the tribulation and, and the thousand years, then we will have this new heaven and new earth. The first and last Beatitudes, verse 3 and verse 10, include this expression, which implies that the blessings in between likewise apply to those in the kingdom. Okay? So in other words, the, the idea that theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it, it, again, in, in, the, uh, and in the last verse, um, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is the bookend phrase, and everything in between is also uh, a benefit that you receive. So the kingdom of heaven, benefit, 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 kingdom of heaven. So all of those benefits apply to those that have uh, will be in the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom is both present and future. We will are, we will see the blessings described both in the present and in the future. So moving on, a bless a, a, a benefit we receive is they shall be comforted. Okay, and I'm quoting directly here. This is why. So in verse 4, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So what does it mean to be comforted? Uh, this is in reference to those who mourn over their sins and spiritual poverty. We are comforted even now in 2 Colossians verse, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Our comfort is now. We have the gift of the Holy Ghost. You shall be comforted in the future in Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. We, we know that come in the future, we will be comforted. Number three, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In one sense, we inherit the earth now. When we put the kingdom of God first, we are inheriting the earth. Though we may have less than some who are wicked, God enables us to enjoy what we have more. 
This explanation is consistent with the context of Psalm 37, from which this inherit the earth phrase was taken. But in another sense, there yet remains a promise concerning a new earth for those in the kingdom now. So just because someone appears to be winning now at this moment, while it seems like they've got everything and you have nothing, just remember, it's not always going to be that way. They're not always going to win. They may have this moment, but you have eternity. Because not only are you blessed now, not only have you inherited the earth now, you're going to inherit that new earth that's going to be coming. Number four, you shall be filled. So blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. With the righteousness we so desperately need, found only in Christ, we are going to get filled. We are received presently through the precious blood of Christ. Through the atonement of Jesus Christ, we have received that fill, filling of our hunger and our thirst. And it's received in fullness when adorned in the white linen of righteousness in preparation for the marriage of the Lamb. Number five, they shall obtain a mercy. Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I mean, that sort of seems... Well, yeah, of course, but it's not always that simple. Those in the kingdom enjoy forgiveness of sins through Jesus' blood, but only if we actually ask for that forgiveness. We just can't assume we make a mistake and we're automatically going to be forgiven. One of the things is we have to acknowledge our sin. We have to acknowledge the mistakes. We have to, atone. We have to tell God, I messed up here, God. I need your forgiveness. And... It's We have that forgiveness, but God wants us to acknowledge what we have done in, in, order to, in order to have the full benefits of the receipt of that forgiveness. We shall also be shown mercy by, in escaping the righteous wrath of God in the day of judgment. God's judgment is always righteous. And we've all, I, I think most of us have heard the phrase righteous anger. And that's what God will have is righteous anger. But we, as citizens of the kingdom, will escape that righteous anger because we've already asked for, received forgiveness, and we have lived a life that mirrors Christ to the best of our abilities. We shall see God. Number six, we shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And, um... I'm, I'm one of those people who says, I think that little, little children see and experience far more than we ever know because they are so pure in their hearts, innocent in their hearts. And I think that they see and perceive things that we are unable to because we're older, we're jaded, we're more cynical, as it were, even as much as we love God. And, and I'm convinced that my daughter sees and experiences things that I'm unable to, simply because she is so pure in heart. So presently, those in the kingdom see God through their Lord Jesus Christ. But in the future, we're going to see him face to face. And if, if you've done any kind of studying of the Old Testament, you know that when we, that anyone who would see the face of God, God actually told Moses, you cannot see my face, for if you see it, you shall die. And that is because we are not, at this moment, those perfect, transfigured beings that we will be in the new heaven and the new earth. So when we are in the kingdom after, when, we, when, we've, when we're in the kingdom 
after we achieve that heavenly sphere, we will see the face of God. And of course, we will not perish. Number seven, they shall be called sons of God. And I've seen this called the children of God, the sons of God. So the words are interchangeable depending upon your translation. So uh, again, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Again, um, the, the Geneva Bible uses the phrase children of God, sons of God, children of God. Yes. So now, even now we are called the sons or the children of God. And even in the future, we will be called even more so. We will be united again with Christ, our, our brother, and we will live that heavenly life. So, in conclusion, I just want to say, when we are, uh, when we follow, we choose to follow Christ, we are citizens in the kingdom and we are blessed. We certainly have the benefits of the kingdom and those benefits outweigh anything this world has to offer or any persecution it might inflict. But in the blessedness, but the blessedness of the citizens is only for those who have the characteristics of the citizen in ever increasing measure. So I think we need to sit and self-reflect. Do we have those qualities in abundance and are we constantly growing them? Now, I think that just about sums us up today. I go, this has been a, a little bit long. These, this, these last two Monday services, or Monday uh, devotionals have been a little longer than normal. So, um, but I'll, I'll close here. Uh, again, next Monday, we're going to be looking at the citizens of the kingdom in their relationship to the world by discussing the parable of salt and light. And on Thursday, we will be uh, discussing a rebuttal article to Bryant Woods' article on Did the Israelites Destroy Jericho? As always, I enjoy hearing from you. Please email me with questions, comments, concerns, prayer requests, anything you would like at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com. On Twitter at, at podcast underscore past. And on Facebook at Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. I do have to caution you, my Facebook was hacked, so it's been taking me time to get everything back together. So if you ever have an issue with uh, joining our Facebook page, uh, please just reach out to either myself or David Linnell James, who is our uh, head pastor, and he is more than willing to answer questions. Um, again, I look forward to meeting with you on Thursday when we'll be discussing more about if the Israelites destroyed Jericho. Until then, I urge you to stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. God bless.